be here with you. I haven't been here in a while and uh, really wanted to support uh, the work of, of uh, Christ here and uh, especially, you know, working with Mike Crow. I love that guy and uh, have worked with him quite a bit. So uh, glad I would have a chance to be here to, with you and share together. Uh, just just happened, so happened that, yeah, I, w- I came back uh, from North America a little early, and so that was a good thing. Hey, uh, I want to ask you a question this morning. And, and you know, uh, we know the Sunday school answer, right? We know the Sunday school answer. Uh, but have you ever had a prayer where you feel like God didn't hear you? You know, or have you ever uh, felt like, you know, I'm not sure if God really came through. I mean, we won't want to say that in the church, right? Because uh, we want everybody to think, oh no, God is, you know, does all things and He's wonderful. But there are times. I can remember, uh, I grew up uh, actually in inner city Dallas. And, uh, you know, as a kid, uh, well, I'll just tell you, by the time I was 12 years old, I'd been shot at twice, stabbed once. It was only with a fork, but it really hurt. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'd been beaten up, I can't tell you how many times. It was during the Civil Rights Movement, so it's like, hey, you're white, you'll do. And, or I beat people up. I was not a good guy. But I remember praying, God, get me out of here. Get me out of here. And he didn't. <laughs> God bless you. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I can remember in, in junior high school. In junior high school, it was like, all the zits in the world uh, uh, attacked me. You know, it's like bypass everybody, and here I am. And I mean, uh, you know, going through uh, junior high school and high school, literally with these big whelps and, and walking down the hall of a high school and, and watching the looks of people as they saw my face. Um, and I was like, God, where are you? Do something about this. I can remember uh, going to uh, uh, going to Dallas Christian College. Man, I, I had given my life to Christ, and my wife and I, my wife and I made this decision. We felt like God was in it for us to go to the mission field to Africa, uh, in particular to the Congo. And I mean, we literally went through all the trauma of telling our Christian parents that, hey, uh, we feel like God's calling to a- us to Africa and listening to these godly parents going, what are you talking about? Our grandkids will be born in a whole other world. And back then, you know, wasn't travel wasn't like it was now. And, and I mean, we'd gone through all that. We'd announced that. And then in my senior year, February of my senior year, the Congo closed. Missionaries were being kicked out and no one was allowed in. And it's like God said no. And we're going, God, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Ever wondered? I, uh, uh, what Dottie didn't tell you is right before Saltines, I was in the Middle East. I was in the Middle East. And we were working with, uh, for two weeks, uh, college students here from DCC went, and we were working with Palestinian Christians, working with uh, Iraqi and Syrian refugees, Christians, Christians. And the first question, we we visited 55 families over those two weeks. And I got to tell you, every night, every night we were debriefing 
And we, I should have taken a professional counselor with us because the stories that were heard, we heard were absolutely... I, I remember one of the first families that we visited. The, the, the father said this. He said, where is the love of God? Where was the love of God? He was a, born a Christian into a Christian family. He says, where was the love of God? When I saw 27 of my brothers completely destroyed, slaughtered by ISIS. Where's the love of God then? And I thought about his question, and I thought, wow, you know, we ask those questions, don't we? A lot of times when bad stuff happens, where things don't go well, well, we're not, we're not in bad company. And today, we want to we take a look at a minor prophet, Habakkuk. Boy, it almost uh, sounds like you're clearing your throat. It's a good name, Habakkuk. Uh, it's a little hard to find, but it's between Nahum and Zephaniah, if that helps. Okay, <laughs> in the in the uh, the Bible that you have pr provided, I'll give you some help. It's on page six hundred and fifty-four. Okay, okay, now we're talking. It's an incredibly powerful book to study. Uh, Doctor Halen is an Old Testament scholar at DCC, and he's always telling me, "Hey, Mark, you know you're stuck in Paul." You're stuck over there in the New Testament, and my background is New Testament, and in particular in Paul, uh, and New Testament and urban studies. And so he's always telling me, so I think he would be proud. Uh, but it, it's an incredibly powerful book to study. It only takes about 10 minutes to read. It's only three chapters. It was written about 600 B.C., and not much is known about Habakkuk. And the book is really about a discussion or dialogue between Habakkuk and God or really, it's more of Habakkuk complaining and God responding to his complaints. Now, i got to tell you, that's pretty unusual because God doesn't usually respond to people's complaints because he's, well, he's God. There's a lot in the book, but we want to look in particular at the complaints, God's responses, and then Habakkuk's conclusion, which is awesome. So in this book, there's two complaints. Uh, the first question or complaint is about the lack of justice or concern. When I think about complaints, I got to tell you, I think about, I don't know if you've ever heard this, uh, this joke, but uh, there was a monk who went to this uh, monastery where no one uh, spoke a word all year, and every, every year uh, you, could, you could speak a couple of words. And so the, the monk, this is fun, uh, the monk I went through a whole year, and the head monk said, okay, what words would you like to speak? And he says, beds hard. So a whole other year went by, and the head monk uh, said, okay, uh, what words do you have uh, to speak? Waited a whole year, and he said, food bad. So he went a whole other year, and the head monk said, okay, you know, what words do you have? And he says, I quit. And the head monk, monk said, well, that's no surprise. You've been complaining since you got here. Think about it. Think about it. I love it. But Habakkuk, in Habakkuk 1, 2, 2 through 4, if you take a look at that, I think we have it up here on the screen as well. Listen to what he says. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you don't say. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? 
Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked, him in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Wow. Can anybody else see here relate to what Habakkuk is asking and complaining about? Anybody see the relation to modern day times? On the Saltines tour, we were down in Santa Fe, Texas, where a young man walked into a school and killed 10 people and wounded 13. And we stood, we stood out at the memorial that they had made out there. It was unbelievably sad. We could hardly speak a word at what we saw there. The question is why? Habakkuk gets a response from God, which is actually, again, pretty amazing in and of itself. And the answer he gets, however, is not what he wants to hear. It's not. See, God says he's at work, but not how Habakkuk would have done it. (laughs) It's not. God is sending a powerful force and I got to tell you, he says, I'm sending this force, the force, the Chaldeans. Look, in the Old Testament, 600 years before Christ, the Chaldeans were literally known as the wasps. They, they come and, and literally they strike, they destroy, they move on. It sounded, when I was over in Jordan, in the Middle East, it sounded, I'm just going to say it, it sounded a lot like ISIS. Brutal people. Brutal. The wasps were coming. Strike, destroy, move on. God was bringing justice, but it was going to be painful. One author puts it this way, Mark Mangano. He says, God's answer is witness to the fact that the existence of chaos, evil, and violence in the world may not be because of God's absence, but because He's at work. Second complaint, Habakkuk 1, verses 17. How long will this last? Simply put, how long will this last? How long are we going to put up with all that's going on? God's answer is interesting and powerful. Habakkuk 2 verse 4, if you take a look at that. It's a famous passage of Scripture that will carry over. See, I had to get Paul in there. It it carries over even to the writings of Paul in the New Testament, especially in Romans and Galatians. Here's the text. Paul uses the last part of it. He says, uh, Habakkuk, or God says to Habakkuk, see, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. He's talking about the king. But the righteous will live by his faith. That's what Paul quotes. No matter what happens, God will be God, and his people will continue to be faithful to him no matter what. Well, i got to tell you, the rest of the book is really about this idea of faithfulness. There's five woes which are beautifully written in the Hebrew language. It's beautiful. But suffice it to say, whatever happens is not going to be pretty to the evil people. It's kind of like the old westerns. The bad guys are going to get it in the end. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we see questions that are asked when God says no. Now, I've got, I've got nine grandchildren. I know I look incredibly young, but I've got nine grandchildren uh, eight of them are five and under, and one of the five-year-olds, she I, I have nicknamed her the Tornado. Uh, and I, I remember uh, a while back, 
uh, we were with her, and uh, I said, uh, she was standing there, she asked to do something, I said no. And she just dropped on the ground and started wailing and screaming. And my daughter-in-law came and said, what did you do? I said, I said no. That's it. I just said no. And she's like going nuts. And you know, I thought a lot about that moment. And I thought, man, we do the same thing, don't we? We want God to do something. God doesn't do something. And what do we do? Drop down and wail. God, God, why did you do something? God, why didn't you hear me? And the first question we usually ask is, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Things around me are falling apart. What are you doing? And so there's a sense of betrayal. I mean, we ask the question like, in this case, why would God say no to justice? I've called this, this summer for Mark Worley, the emotional summer. When I hear, look, I got to tell you, uh, the stories about ISIS are true, except we don't hear the full stories. I literally said to someone there, I'm not sure if these, the ISIS, are really human. Guys, I can't go into all the stories, but I mean brutal stories of these people. And I got to say, in the evenings, I'm laying in bed going, God, what are you doing? Why would you say no to justice? There were a bunch of good people being hurt by violent people. I'm talking about Habakkuk, 600 years before Christ. Why would God tolerate wrong? It did not make sense. I'm serving you, and you slammed the door in my face. I want to go to Africa, and God, you slammed the door in my face, and I couldn't go to Africa, which is the very place I thought you had called me. James Dobson, in his book, When God Doesn't Make Sense, says only about 10% of Christians are ever able to break through the wall of betrayal. Let me repeat that. Only about 10% of Christians are able to to break through the wall of betrayal. Dobson says they will still go through the motions, but they no longer fully trust in God. See, you want an explanation, but God does not explain what he's doing. Remember in Job 38? Job, all this bad stuff happens to Job, and Job says, God, what are you doing? And God says, his response doesn't answer the question. You remember his response is, who are you? Did you set the sun and the moon in place? Did you stop the tide of the, of the oceans? Do, do you command the Leviathan in the deep? Who are you? Oh, man. You remember Job's response? Oh, yeah, okay. I uh, wasn't quite thinking there. Or Isaiah 55. God says, look, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Habakkuk 1.3, Habakkuk says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? James Smith, the commentator, says this. He says, Believers must cease to think of prayer as the tool by which they can force the Lord to follow their agenda and schedule. You know, we ask God, what are you doing? Because it goes against what we expected and believed. Hey, what would you expect or believe if you were Habakkuk? 
I know what I believe. Listen, I believe I would expect that God would come in and he would blow the ISIS people out of the world. That, that, that he would set the country, this country, straight, as I see it needs to be. I would expect for him to get rid of the crime and the poverty. I would expect that he would get the Democrats or the Republicans out of power, whichever one I like or don't like. I would expect that God would do it my way. Can you hear an amen? Better not. <laughs> Again, James Smith says, whether men know it or not, God is at work behind the scenes of history to straighten out the mess made by sinful men in society. You know, we try to come up with our own answers. We actually begin to speak for God. We say, look, God, this didn't work because we've sinned. You know, I'm not getting blessed because I've sinned, or there's something I'm not thinking about, some sin that I haven't even figured out yet. Or this, this is not moving. God, you're not moving in my life because you're trying to teach me something. Or it didn't work because God doesn't like me. We forget about God's unconditional love. Or it didn't work because it's somebody else's fault. Hey, the church is not growing because of them. You know, if they would just change, if they would just... Man, it's sin in the camp. It's all that kind of stuff. And God says to Habakkuk, Hey, I'm, I'm working a work in your days. In other words, God says, I got this. And the timing is mine, not yours. So the, the first question is, God, what are you doing? The second question usually is, what do we do when God says no? What do we do? Let me give you some ideas. First of all, don't trust your emotions. Don't trust your emotions. Emotion is often driven by others. Emotion is often driven by physical conditions. Emotion is often driven by frustration. Why not Africa? Let me force the issue. Why not here? Why not now? And sometimes we don't even look. We don't even take the time to see what God is doing and how God is working. Remember, remember Psalm 46, 10? Be still and know that I'm God. Don't trust your emotions. After... After Dimitri walked in to a school and he killed 10 people and wounded 13, the news media and everybody's like, destroy that kid. Why, you know, why didn't they go ahead and kill him? And his mother must be a monster. My emotions were there too. I got a rot in prison but we don't know him. We don't know his mom. I talked to people. I stayed with people who knew him since he was a, a little kid. And all of a sudden, I get a completely different idea. And we prayed for him. And we prayed for his mom. And his mom said this. She said, I can't believe that teenagers, saltines, would pray for me or my son. I've never experienced such love in my life as when I heard that you and your teenagers were praying for me. 
Don't trust your emotions. And second, don't get ahead of God. Don't get ahead of God. God's going to do what God wants to do when He wants to do it. Let me repeat that. God's going to do what God wants to do when God wants to do it. Don't get ahead of Him. And you might not like it, but He's working a work in us, through us. And third, don't turn to other gods. Look at what Habakkuk 2 verse 18 says. Of what value is an idol? Since a man has carved it, or an image that teaches lies, for he who makes it trust in his own creation, he makes idols that cannot speak. Look, it's amazing to me that a lot of us would trust more in our, in our retirement fund than we would trust in God. Isn't it crazy that I would trust sometimes more? You know, and I'm wondering, how would God speak to me? How could God care about my individual life? You know what? Siri gets me. I, I, I got in touch with Siri this morning, and she, and she it gave me directions here, and I followed them. How, how is it? I don't understand Siri. I don't understand how there's a, there's a satellite in the sky, right, that knows exactly where I am and can give me directions here, there, and everywhere, and yet I trust that sometimes more than I trust God. And so do we. Don't turn to other gods, money, possessions, relationships. Someone once said, when a good thing becomes a God thing, that's an idol. Don't trust in other things. Trust in God. And that's the next one. Trust in God. I love Habakkuk 2 verse 20. Habakkuk says, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Maybe you learned that in Sunday school. And yet, boy, it's tough for us to get it, isn't it? Trust in the Lord. With what? All your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In, in some of your ways, no, in all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. You know what I'm saying to us, brothers and sisters? Trust in the Lord. How about Psalm 31? Which I, I think could often be, it could often be a suicide letter. Listen to what David says. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief, for I hear the slander of many. There is terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. Take me out of here, God. Anybody ever said that? Just get me out of this. And verse 14, here's what David says. But... I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Jesus, facing one of the most crucial, most horrible moments in his life, says, God, not my will, but what? Yours be done. Yours be done. Trust in Him. In John the 6th chapter, Jesus is giving some really tough teachings and all these people who are following Him after He fed the 5,000, all of them are leaving. And boy, this is the moment. This is the moment. This verse changed my life. At the very end, Jesus turns to His disciples and says, are you guys going to leave me too? And you remember what Peter said? To whom shall we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Only God. Trust in Him and just keep following. Now, what happened, what happened with Habakkuk? Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19a are incredible verses, powerful verses. 
Here's a conclusion that Habakkuk came to. He says this. Do I have it up there? Maybe not. He says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Man, that's a passage of Scripture we ought to read more often if we could find Habakkuk in the Bible. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Philippians 4, chapter, verse 13. He says this, in fact, Malcolm Smith in his book, uh, Spiritual Burnout, he says this, he says, God saves us from happiness and unhappiness. Now wait a minute, let me repeat that. God saves us from happiness and unhappiness. Here's what he says. He says the word hap, happy comes from the root word hap, which means circumstances. And when circumstances happen to hap our way, that makes us happy. He gives the illustration. So let's say, let's say tomorrow morning I wake up and the sun is shining, the birds are singing. My wife brings me breakfast in bed. This is just a myth, okay? And, and, uh, she comes in and says, oh, my wonderful husband that I love with all my heart. You know, isn't it a beautiful day? And my, my children come in and they rise up and call me blessed. Oh, Father, you're the blessed of all. And, and then I walk out and the sun is shining. The birds are singing. I get in my car and there's absolutely no traffic in Dallas. And, and, and I, I drive to, to the college and I get out and I find a $100 bill. I mean, he's just laying there. Yeah. And I go in and my boss gives me a raise. I love all those haps. And when those haps hap my way, that makes me happy. Now let me ask you, is God still in control? Yes. And I like that control. It's awesome. Now let's talk about reality. Okay. I wake up tomorrow morning to my wife yelling, saying, Mark, there was a storm last night. There's a storm. And it... It knocked out the electricity. The alarm clock is messed up. You're late. You're late. You got to get going. So, I'm, and my kids are fighting. I hate you. I hate you. And and I go out, and my car has a flat tire, and so I have to fix the flat tire in the rain. And so I fix the flat tire in the rain, and and I, in the process, I'm driving down, and nobody in Dallas knows how to drive when it's the least bit wet, and so it's bumper to bumper, and 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 somewhere I got I got at the college and realized that so, at some point in time I lost a hundred dollar bill, and I walk in, and my boss says, you know, you're late again, and and so I'm gonna have to dock your pay. I wish all those haps would unhap, and so therefore I am unhappy. Now let me ask you: Is God still in control? Yes. Yes. Hold your finger in the back. I can turn back over to Philippians, the fourth chapter. Philippians, the fourth chapter. This passage is always taken out of context. It drives me nuts. You know, uh, we see posters probably in the youth room here where, uh, where it's like, uh, you know, you have posters uh, of, this, of this Iron Man. He says, I can do all things. Things through Christ who gives me strength. Yeah, you know. Well, let's put it in context. Look at Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse ten. 
It says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Now, that, not that I was ever in need. That's unhappy. For I've learned how to be content, that's happy, with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing. That's unhappy. Or on everything. That's happy. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach. That's happy. Or empty. That's unhappy. With plenty. That's happy. Or little. That's unhappy. What's the secret, Paul? What's this incredible secret? I can make it through all things. Through Him who's in control. I can do all things. I can make it through today. No matter what's thrown at me, no matter what the circumstances say, I can make it through today because He gives me strength. The Hebrew men in the fire in Daniel, the book of Daniel, remember they're the only ones standing. The king throws them into the fire. And you remember what they said. They said this, even if He doesn't save us, we still will not serve other gods. Look, God has not called us to safety, but to evangelism, not to protection, but to ministry wherever He asks us to go. So what's the result? What's the result? What do we learn from Habakkuk? I think it's interesting growing up in the inner city. I was just talking to somebody yesterday about this. Growing up in inner city gave me the opportunity to understand Hispanic folks. Gave me the ability to understand African American. I wasn't around a white person until I was 17. And that produced an urban ministry out of Dallas Christian College into the very neighborhood where I grew up. We had two students, African-American students, who were graduating, going into ministry from that neighborhood. All the zits in the world. What about that? As Dottie said, I'm the vice president for student development. I minister to young people. I know what low self-esteem is about. And I know them. My, my lack of going to the Congo, I went to the second mission field, in my mind, that God was leading me to, which was youth ministry. So if I hadn't gone, if I had gone to the Congo, I wouldn't have spent five years in Midland, Texas, as a youth pastor. Nine of my kids came to Dallas Christian College. I, I wouldn't have spent 30, uh, 38 years at Dallas Christian College encouraging young men and women that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. If, if I'd have gone to Africa, I might not be here speaking to you right now. My second son, Zach, when he was three years old, he got sick, terribly sick. My wife called me, called me from the, 
from the house and said, Mark, you need to come home right away. Something's wrong with Zach. He's been thrown up, and I, I, I think, Mark, he's about to go into a coma. He had nothing to sustain him. So I, I get, got home, and, and, and she was right, and so we immediately took him to the doctor, and the doctor said, you've got to put him in the hospital right away. He's severely dehydrated. Never forget that. And I re- when we took him to the hospital, he's like me. He hates needles. And so the nurse, he's moving. You've got to hold him down. And I held my son down while the nurse inserted needles into him. And my son, tears in his eyes, looked at me and said, Why, Dad? Let me go, Dad. Why? And I'm holding him tight. He had no idea what, he was, what I was doing or why. Dad doesn't make sense, but I'm his dad. He may not understand what I'm doing, but everything I do is because I love him. I would give my life for him. And so often, so often, there's terrible stuff happening in our lives and God is holding us. We're going, God, why? And God says, look, I'm your Abba. I'm your Father. I would do anything for you, even give my son. Jesus on the cross asked why, and God doesn't answer. But he knows what he needed to do. Habakkuk keeps following. Why? Because he knew he was just a servant. Look, if God has told you no, wait until you see the door he opens for you. See what he's going to do. Trust in him. Trust him. God may have told you no in some way, not here, not now, but watch and see what doors he opens somewhere else some other time. Look at the story of Habakkuk and take heart, Hillcrest Christian Church. The story is bigger than us. God will take us where he wants and we will continue to serve. Maybe here, maybe not here. Maybe now, maybe not now. But there and then. Trust in him. Remember I said there was that guy in Jordan. The first question he asked is, where is the love of God? Where is the love of God when 27 of my brothers were slaughtered. It's kind of interesting. He and his wife had tried to have a child for 15 years. And when they got to Jordan, they felt peace and they had a child, a little daughter. But she was born with a hole in her heart. And the dad was crying as he told me this and I pulled out my phone and I found a picture of my daughter. Amy, Michelle, Worley, now Phillips. And she was standing there with her two sons. And the guy said, that's nice that you have a daughter. I said, no, let me tell you about her. She was born a little over three and a half months premature. She was one pound, 14 ounces when she was born. She 
almost died three times. Immediately after she was born, she had a heart attack and her heart was damaged. But God, but God spared her. And now that Iraqi Christian man started crying. He says, now I get it. That the God of love would send you halfway around the world, that you would go out in the right car with the right people, and you would stop at my house. God sent you. And he took a picture of my picture. And he said, this will remind me that I should always, no matter what happens, trust in God. That's what I said. Absolutely. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on in your life. But read through Habakkuk. Three chapters and be reminded Though the fig tree doesn't bear fruit, though there are no cattle in the field, still I will trust in my God and be encouraged. Let's pray. God, thank you for Habakkuk. Just this little book that some of us never even knew maybe was there, except for we just maybe studied it or did it for uh, books of the Bible thing. But thank you for using even an obscure little book to remind us how deeply you care for us. So God, I pray that you would help my brothers and sisters if there's someone who's questioning, wondering. I pray just like my brother over in Jordan, that you would remind us that you are God and that we should trust in you and lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, God, help us to acknowledge you and will you direct our paths. We pray in Jesus' name.